morning. It's good to see all of you out this morning. We're glad that you're here with us. Our lesson for this morning actually comes from my suggestion box. I followed one of the suggestions in there, and so that's where this comes from. But it continues our series for this month on the greatest gifts of God. We've been talking about some of the greatest things that God has given to us. God has given us many great gifts, and some of those we recognize. And some of those we, we don't always recognize as gifts from God. But God has given us a great many things. God has given us love, joy, and peace. He has given us grace and salvation. He has given us eternal life. The ability to spend an eternity with Him in heaven. But of all the many great gifts that God has given to us, the greatest gift, the one gift that made all other gifts possible for us is Jesus Christ. He is the greatest gift that we have. The first sermon that I ever preached was entitled, For God So Loved the World. And as a matter of fact, the Sunday that I preached my first sermon was Father's Day of 2006. And that was kind of where I got the idea. And I want to use that verse as kind of our theme verse for today as well. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. John chapter 3 and verse 16. God loved us. He loved us greatly. He loved us to the point that He was willing to give His only begotten Son for us so that we might have eternal life through Him. Now which of these blessings would we be able to enjoy if Jesus had not been sent to earth? If He had never come? We, we just got through singing the song without Him and that, that was kind of something that was going through my head as I prepared this sermon. But which of the gifts that we have been given from God would we be able to enjoy without Him? The gift of life comes through Him. Because He lived, because He died, because He was resurrected, all of the things that we enjoy as gifts from God all spiritual blessings come through Christ. Our lesson objective for today is, is just one. We want to understand why Jesus is the greatest of the gifts given to us by God. Why is Jesus the greatest gift? We're going to spend a great deal of time with His birth, the gift of His birth and what it means to us. The ministry of Jesus 
that led to his crucifixion began with his birth into this world. He was first given to Mary and Joseph as to them he was the gift of their son. He was given to them, he was entrusted to their care. We begin in Luke chapter 1 when Christ is announced to Mary. Luke chapter 1 and beginning with verse 26. Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one. The Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. But when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and considered what manner of greeting this was. Then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Highest and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom there will be no end. Then Mary said to the angel, How can this be? Since I do not know a man. The angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the highest will overshadow you Therefore also that Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. Now indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age and this is now the sixth month for her who was called barren. For with God nothing will be impossible. And then Mary said, Behold, the maidservant of the Lord, let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Christ was not only announced to Mary, but he was also announced to Joseph. In Matthew chapter 1 and verses 18 through 25. Matthew 1 and beginning with verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife. For that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she will bring forth a son. And you shall call his name Jesus. For he will save his people from their sins. Verse 22. So all this was done that it might be fulfilled. Which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Say, behold the virgin shall be with child. 
and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. And Joseph, being aroused from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him, and took to him his wife, and did not know her until she had brought forth her firstborn son. And he called his name Jesus. Just as a thought from one of our Bible classes of several weeks ago now, I wonder how many angels came to people and had to say, do not be afraid. They came in words of comfort. But their appearance was something of, uh, of a great nature when the people realized that. Though biologically Joseph was not the father of this child, he did take full responsibility for him as his earthly father, as well as for Mary, who was to be his wife. We read of Christ's birth and the events that surround it in Luke chapter 2, beginning with verse 1. And it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This census took, first took place while Quirinius was governing Syria. So all went to be registered, every one to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. So it was that while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because... There was no room for them in the inn. It is suggested that Joseph was the primary subject in need of being registered, and he took Mary with him to be registered with him as his wife, or as his betrothed wife. And he willingly did that. He went to be registered just as he was told. Mary had been given to Joseph to be his wife. And from Strong's Greek, the, the phrase there, pledged to him in marriage, has the meaning to ask in marriage, pass, to be betrothed, from a derivative of Nehemiah, to give a, to give a souvenir, i.e. betrothed. Though they were betrothed to one another, she became his responsibility as if they were married. And as she was expect expecting a child, she was very much dependent on Joseph's care. And so she goes with him. As he is to be registered, she goes with him. The place of Jesus' birth was of great significance as well. It wasn't a house. And as we read here, it wasn't an inn because there was no room for them in the end. But a stable. You know, parents, and something that we may not realize readily from the text, the parents 
want the very, very best for their children, don't they? And especially the first child. Uh, any mother, I'm sure, would tell you that the first child was, was special in regard to them being the first. There are a lot of mistakes that are made with the first also. But they try to do their very best with that first child especially. And then they learn from that first child and it's raising and so as the second and third come along uh, they can be a little more relaxed as, as far as that is concerned. But the first child is of great concern to the parents. And, and something that we, we may not realize about Mary and Joseph it is the sacrifice that they made in order to bring Jesus into the world. Uh, the sacrifice, first of all, to leave their home for this census. And Mary went with Joseph. Uh, traveling in, in much less than comfortable conditions. And not being able to provide basic shelter for the birth of their child. That's something that, that every parent would want. would be the best uh, of circumstances surrounding the birth. And some... Some parents will choose to have home births for that reason because uh, they want their child to be born at home. But parents try to make the very best decision in that regard. And certainly traveling was, was not something that I'm sure was at the top of their list as far as things to do to prepare for the arrival of this child. But they did it. the less than ideal conditions under which Jesus was born into the world must have caused Joseph and Mary a, a great deal of stress, I can imagine, not knowing what was to be for them in the future. And it gives a whole new meaning to a verse that is one of my favorites, 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 7, For we walk by faith, not by sight. That's exactly what they did. They are great examples to us of walking by faith and not by sight. Now as far as, as Jesus' birth is concerned, I think it's important for us to recognize those who recognize the importance of this birth. There are certain individuals that are brought out in Scripture as recognizing the importance, the significance of of this great event. First of all, the shepherds. Let's look at the shepherds. Luke 2, and beginning with verse 8. Luke 2 and verse 8. Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. Verse 15, so it was when the angels had gone away from there into heaven 
that the shepherds said to one another, Let us now go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. Now when they had seen him, they made widely known the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all those who heard it marveled at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told them. Just to give you an idea of, of how shepherds were, were viewed by the people, they weren't people of great significance. You know, David was a shepherd. Not even thought of in the same regard as his brothers to be the next king of Israel, as we read in 1 Samuel chapter 16. These shepherds recognized the significance of Jesus' birth. And it says that they came with haste. And just a couple of questions, some things that I wondered, some things that were not told. Who shepherded the flocks in their absence? Uh, maybe they had a, a sort of a rotation of shepherds. I don't know. How far did they travel? We, we don't know exactly how far it was. Although we do believe them to be at least somewhat local. They were within traveling distance of the birth of Christ. But these shepherds recognized the significance of Jesus' birth. Let's look also at the wise men. Matthew chapter 2, and beginning with verse 1. Matthew 2, and beginning with verse 1. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and the scribes of the people together, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. So they said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet. Verse 6, But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod, when he had secretly called the wise men, determined from them what time the star appeared. And he sent to them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the young child. And when you have found him, bring back word to me that I may come and worship him also. Verse 9, When they heard the king, they departed. And behold, the star they, which they had seen in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. 
When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. And when they had come into the house, they saw the young child and Mary his mother and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Then, being divinely warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed for their own country another way. The Greek term for these wise men is magi. And these are described in Ellicott's commentary as a priestly case of the Medes, known as interpreters of dreams. Now, in regard to the shepherds, we see shepherds as, as usually a lowly form of servanthood, but, but these magi, these wise men, they brought a great deal of attention with them. And when Herod realized that they were coming, even he recognized, at least to some degree, the significance of this birth. He recognized it as a threat to his reign, to his status as king. And so he seeks the life of Jesus. We do not know how many wise men there were. Though by tradition many have accepted that there were three, one for each of the gifts. Some have suggested that maybe as many as twelve were present there, maybe more. We don't know. The Bible doesn't say. But their coming drew the attention of the king. They came to a house rather than the stable in which Jesus was born. So this was well after his birth. Uh, some have suggested maybe he was somewhere around the age of two by this time. We don't really know. But they did come to a house. And another interesting thing that is, is actually not mentioned in this passage is Joseph. We don't know the reason for that, but Joseph is not mentioned here, uh, despite his prominence in the book of Matthew. And for whatever reason that may be, we're unaware. But we see that these wise men, these magi, they also recognized the significance of Jesus' birth. And finally, Simeon and Anna also recognize this significance. We read in Luke chapter 2 and beginning with verse 25, Luke 2 and verse 25, And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. So he came by the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child, Jesus, to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared before the face of all peoples. A light to bring revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. 
And Joseph and his mother marveled at those things which were spoken of him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, the child is destined for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign which will be spoken against. Yes, a sword will pierce through your own soul also that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. Verse 36. Now there was one Anna, a prophetess, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was of a great age and had lived with a husband seven years from her virginity. And this woman was a widow of about 84 years who did not depart from the temple but served God with fastings and prayers night and day. And coming in that instant, she gave thanks to the Lord and spoke of Him to all those who looked for redemption in Israel. Notice that that these, they, they noticed. Not only did they witness the birth of Christ or or witness him to some degree thereafter. But when they did, what did they do? They went out and spread the message with a great many people. How often do we spread that message to those that we are around? Friends? Family members? But we have to understand also that Jesus' birth is not the only thing of significance. As a matter of fact, his birth would be almost meaningless if it hadn't been for what happened after that in his life. Especially as it leads to his death and resurrection. So let's look at the gift that we find in his life, death. Resurrection. First of all, we recognize the significance of his life and his ministry. In Matthew chapter 4, beginning with verse 12, Now when Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he departed to Galilee. And leaving Nazareth, he came and dwelt in Capernaum, which is by the sea, in the regions of Zebulun and Naphtali, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, by the way of the sea, beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people who sat in darkness have seen a great light. And upon those who sat in the region and shadow of death, light has dawned. And verse 17, from that time, Jesus began to preach and to say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus performed many miracles. He did a great many wonders in his life. There were a great many things that were accomplished through his life. But his primary mission was to preach repentance to the Jews who had wandered away from God. And so he did. Jesus also came with a purpose. Turn with me to Matthew 26 and 
Let us notice verses 26 through 29. This is when Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper, but we find His purpose given in this institution. Matthew 26 and verse 26, And as they were eating, Jesus took bread, blessed and broke it, and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. Then He took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the new covenant which is shed for many for the remission of sins. But I say to you, I will not drink this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. His purpose was to bring salvation to a lost and dying world. This mission was accomplished through His crucifixion, through His death, through His resurrection from the dead. Jesus speaking to Nicodemus in John chapter 3 and beginning with verse 10 says this, Are you the teacher of Israel and do not know these things? Most assuredly I say to you, we speak what we know and testify what we have seen and you do not receive our witness. If I have told you earthly things, and you do not believe, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended to heaven, but he who came down from heaven, that is the Son of Man who is in the heaven. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. You see, you can't take John 3.16 without what comes before John 3.16 and that which comes after John 3.16. Jesus fulfilled the purpose of His mission when He was lifted up, if you will, to hang on the cross prepared for Him, when He suffered as a thief, when He died the death of a sinner. As the people of Israel looked upon the means of their salvation, the serpent in the wilderness, so the Jews looked upon the means of their salvation, Christ upon the cross. And so we look upon the means of our salvation, Christ on the cross, dying for the sins of mankind. When He was buried in the tomb, when He was resurrected the third day, Again, we find fulfillment in the purpose of His mission. In Romans chapter 6, beginning with verse 1, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death? Therefore we were buried with Him through baptism into death. That just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in the newness of life. For if we have been united together in the likeness of His death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of His resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with Him, that the body of sin might be done away with, 
that we should no longer be slaves of sin. For he who has died has been freed from sin. Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we ought, that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life that he lives, he lives to God. Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. When we obey the gospel, when we are baptized into Christ, into the likeness of His death, and into His blood, we are freed from our sins. We are raised as Christ, never again to die, dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ. He gives us life. Through His death, we find life. As He was raised to life, so we are raised to life eternal. And all of this comes through Christ and through His sacrifice for our sins. For God so loved the world He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. The greatest gift that is given to us is Christ. He is given out of the love of the Father. All spiritual gifts come through Christ. And in the giving of this gift it is important for us to accept the terms and conditions that God has given to us. We come in contact with the blood of Christ through obedience to the gospel plan of salvation. By faith, repenting of our sins, confessing our faith in Christ before others, and being baptized for the remission of our sins. Notice that, that in that verse, that we should not perish. Whoever believes in Him should not perish. We should not. Can we? Absolutely. We can make that choice. But we should not perish. If we have faith in God, if we have faith in His Son, we should not perish because we should obey the gospel. But it is up to us to make that decision. We should obtain eternal life, but it is our decision to make. And being obedient, we also must remain faithful. Those who fail to remain faithful will lose their soul, will lose that gift of eternal life that's been given to all people. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. He loves you. And He loves me. Are you willing to offer your life to Him? If you've not done so already, are you willing to obey the gospel the baptism for the remission of your sin? If you have obeyed the gospel, 
Maybe you've not remained faithful and you need to return to serving Him. You need to rededicate, repurpose your life in His service. If we can help you in any way, we offer you the opportunity to come. Let's see how we stand and as we stand.